Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is the star-studded sequel starring Steve Martin. That's like a Sally sells seashells by the seashore. I can't even do that. Lots of S's. But uh, it's going to be The Pink Panther, which is uh, available on Netflix. So you got to make sure you do your homework and check that out. And for it, I was lucky enough to interview the director of the movie, Harold Zvort. I love talking to everyone when it comes to filmmaking in front of the camera, behind the camera, but directors just have to really wear so many hats during the process. And I thoroughly enjoy it. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with Harold because he was a filmmaker from the time he could walk, sort of. Uh, from such a young age, his Super 8 camera, he was always shooting film. It was something that he always wanted to do. And and it worked out. <laughs> he took his journey from a small town in uh, Fredericktown in Norway, which I think is so cool that he brings all of his premieres of all of his movies, make sure that they have a stop there, which is some really cool stories about that. And how commercials. Commercials are, you'll even hear, he shoots like two a month still. And it was something he did for years. And then he had a showreel. And then after film school, uh, he was doing the commercials, had a showreel, it was going around. Spielberg calls him for lunch. So you're going to have to make sure you listen so you can hear about that story, which is so cool. And then even from that, because of his commercials, Michael Douglas tabbed him to do his first like Hollywood feature, uh, One, Month, One Night in McCool's, which is such an awesome movie. We talk about that a lot. But it was really one thing that was so interesting from this when we talked about The Karate Kid with Jackie Chan, the, how from that movie, how directors have to, they have to audition too. I don't know why I had this idea of all these directors I've talked to over the years, never thought about, you know what? I thought a director just, they said, hey, I want to do this movie or somebody said, hey, I want you to do this movie. But his story about how he got that is so cool. I don't want to spoil it. It's a true, true, no joke, Hollywood story. I loved it. I told so many people about it as soon as we got done with the interview. But uh, but you're going to have to listen to it for yourself. I'm not going to tell you now. You're going to hear it right from Harold's mouth. <laughs> but yeah, we talked about Canon Films. He went to film school with Paul Verhoeven. Man, there's just so much, so much to impact. I love the way he met his wife. You're going to love that story. You're going to love the entire interview and then be sure to check out. So he had a great story because of all his commercial work, he was doing a cell phone commercial that turned into a feature because of some kind of like happy accident that happened on set, which I'll let him tell the story, but it spurned three films, the long flat balls franchise, which I'll put the link in the episode notes because the new one's out and uh, you got to check it out. Uh, Just hearing Harold talk about it, just made me want to watch it instantly. So you got to make sure you do that. And do me a favor, before I start this amazing interview, I'm not joking. We've been so lucky over the last almost four years, the people we get to talk to, and Harold's up there, upper echelon. Love, love talking to him. Please subscribe. Please share. Follow us on all social media. And please, 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 if you go on YouTube, subscribe there. Even though you're listening to this on YouTube, we always post the unedited interviews so folks can get a get a feel. Because uh, so just so we can get out there, and people can see faces and all of that. But uh, yeah, we really want to grow our YouTube channel. So if you can subscribe there, if not, it's it's fine. It's okay. I'll be fine. 
I'll be fine. But uh, yeah. So without further ado, here is director Harold Zvort. So what I'd like to do is find out, you know, how people got started in this crazy world of uh, filmmaking. It's one of those jobs that not a lot of people succeed at or stick through. So you grew up in Europe. So you're, you're from Norway or is that where you grew up? Well, yes, I, I was born in Holland. So my family is uh, half of my family is Dutch. And then we moved to Norway when I was really young. And I'm from a small town called Fredrikstad. Uh, and it's, it's so small that when I walked down to the local store, the toy store, and I, I told them, you know, there's a movie called Star Wars and they have these really, they have these really amazing toys the guy at that toy store, he was so into model trains, he just laughed at me and said, God, oh, nobody will ever buy those things. And, and, and boy, was he wrong. I mean, they're so out of business now, but it was just, just one of those things. When, when a kid comes and asks about a certain toy, you should go, oh, well, that's interesting. Maybe I, should, um, maybe I should try to look into that instead of you know, making you feel like an idiot. It's, it's, it just speaks a little bit to... It speaks a little bit to, and I don't want to, you know, sit here and, and bash my own country, but there is a sense of, <laughs> there's, there's a famous story about a, a, a grocery store owner in Norway who, um, who was asked, so a guy, a tourist comes in and says, do you guys have bananas? And then he goes, you know what? They just, they just get sold out all the time. So I'm stopped taking them in. <laughs> And, and and that's sort of a, a little bit of a, a a metaphor for how if you have a success, that's not really a great thing. And and my wife and I we 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 sometimes says we're refugees here to this country, and we're cultural refugees because we you know we made movies that are successful, but then well that's not you're not supposed to be successful. You're the, you, you can't get funding again or you know it's it's a little bit <laughs> and it, so there's a there's a little bit of a um, contradiction uh, to put it mildly yeah you mentioned star wars was that like an early uh was that like the was there movies all the time there like when you were growing up did like all the big blockbusters come through well they they usually came um months or a year after the rest of the country. Uh, so my first, uh, the first indication I had that there was a big movie coming was Mad Magazine, and uh, and I loved nice. I loved Mad Magazine. It was the the one little window I had into the states, uh, and I've always sort of loved America. I've loved American movies. I've loved American television. I just loved everything America. And and the Norwegian Broadcasting Company, for some reason, had an inkling to look more east they had a lot of czech animation and there was a, a lot of eastern european influence so luckily where i lived in frederickstad we also got a little bit of swedish television because that came through the ether and uh, there we got a little more of a window into in america but mad magazine was my sort of window and i remember reading star wars as a parody before the movie came out so i was like oh this looks amazing <laughs> And then, and then Star Wars came, and it was shown at our theater. And I, I think I just saw it three, four times in a row. I wanted to go in with a recorder and record. I was drawing schematics to myself how I could throw the microphone over the edge because I knew where the microphone. Because I wanted that music. I had no access to either toys or music or nothing. 
and it just blew me away. But I, but at that time, I had already made um, uh, movies since I was eight. Actually, it, it, this this wasn't planned, by the way. But I just coincidentally, because we're we're making an animation movie uh, back there, and nice. And there was this. Um, I just sort of had to prove that I've done animation, and I I I came across this article. This was the first. Oh, my camera is. Glow. This was the first article. I that was, it. That was the first article <laughs> made about me when I was twelve. Oh my god! And it and it says a five. So it says a twelve-year-old boy with five years movie experience. So by the time I was twelve, wow. by the time I was twelve, I had already made tons of animations, and you know, I I learned walking cycles on. So that's how I started. I just did movies. What was it? What was the influence? Who was it? Someone in your family or neighbors, friends, like influenced you, or you just at the age of seven, you're like, I want to make movies. Yeah, I was. Um, I guess it was the Disney uh, influence, and 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 funny enough, again, you know, we were we had only Eastern European animations on television back there, but for Christmas they showed Disney animations, and it was the it was. I mean, it was just incredible you know jimmy cricket later i realized that was actually something they almost got for free because it was jimmy cricket presenting new movies it was actually trailers so they didn't pay anything for that but that was for us that was oh disney christmas eve i was hooked so that's how i started do you still have one of those camera like that camera or another camera like a replica of it yeah, no, that'd be I cool have, to have. Yeah, I don't have that camera. I've actually my daughter is now really interested in in movies. She's applying for college, and uh, I I bought nice. her a super Ed, super Ed Bolio, so uh, cool. she and a light meter, and so she's been uh, she's now uh, almost eighteen, but she's been doing it for many years now with super eight, which I think is a fantastic uh, medium to start with because it's film. It has to be exposed. It's expensive, so you have to rehearse and make sure you shoot the right thing. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia and really good learning in Super 8. Do, do you miss it at all? Like, would you, if you had the choice, obviously it's really expensive, but is there something that is different when you're shooting? I think you sort of like said it, like it matters what you shoot because of the cost of the film. Do you think shooting digitally, you're like, you know, let's just try this different take or let's do like, do you see people doing that more? You know, I, I can't speak for other people uh, too much, but uh, of course the digital world has been amazing to, to filmmakers. There's, there's no dying, denying it. And, and I remember after our last, the, the last movie I shot on film was mortal instruments and uh, my amazing DP guide and I, we were about to do the transfer. We were debating whether we should do the next one digital. And we did like a three-day testing. We tested everything we could. Same lenses, same moves, same lighting situations, rain, fog, everything. And and we just sat there in the theater looking at each other. It's like, it's really, it's really hard to tell the difference nowadays, you know, with the new areas. And so <laughs> yeah. we kind of caved. Um, but I think there, there was a discipline. Uh, but I've sort of just maintained that discipline of, of rehearsals and planning and just be a little uh, more, I don't know, uh, structured, but you know, there's also, a, there's also a sense of filmmaking that where people 
shoot a lot of loose stuff and they get amazing stuff, which I'm sometimes jealous of. I wish I could some, somehow break loose a little bit. It's like playing jazz. I wish I knew how to play jazz. You know, I, <laughs> I can play classical piano and I'm a little sort of conform in that sense. But and then I see other directors just get crazy stuff done. And, and you have no, and you sometimes if, if I'm lucky enough to speak to them, I was like, how'd you do that? And they're like, it was totally by accident, you know? So <laughs> I wish I was a little more like that. No, you're right. The old film thing, like uh Canon films in the eighties, that's all they did was like, they would, their movies would never be over 90 minutes because they accounted for how much film that had to be bought. And they would like, it's so funny. If you look at their catalog, it's all like, an hour 29, hour 28, hour 20, because they factored in, hey, if we have to get like that next roll of film. It's going to cost us X amount of dollars for like the extra stuff that needs to be shot. Yeah, I think I, it, it's two more things than that, too. It's also your prints had to be a certain number of rolls, but it's also, you know, the time slots. Uh, people don't know this anymore either, but, you know, it was like the seven o'clock show, nine o'clock show, you know, 11. And if your movie was more than two hours, you couldn't fit into those oh, slots. Yeah. So that, that was a part of the issue too, I think. But I remember Canon. I remember that logo like it was yesterday. I was in the, in the <laughs> film school in Amsterdam where I, I went to film the film academy in Amsterdam. And we had free cards. We can go to see the movies as much as we wanted. And there was a great, you know, Amsterdam has a lot of great movie theaters. And I just walked into one after the other. There's one Canon movie after another. I remember the 80s was amazing that way. <laughs> And then I, I remember, yeah. I remember they made my, a lot of movies. Oh yeah, yeah, bad and good, and it was just everything. And I remember, oh, yeah. And I remember the um, Amadeus was my. It was the best movie I'd seen in a long time, except Aliens and a bunch of other great movies. But I remember Amadeus. I walked in, and then there was like a half hour before the, the next show, and then I ran into a Canon movie. So a half hour of that, and then I walked back in and saw Amadeus again. So I remember those <laughs> Canon movies very well. So that was the, so is that like the bridge in the gap from like 12 years old, you're still doing film and then you're like, what's the next step? And then you went to a, a film school in Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, you know, supportive dad and, and uh, my brother was already uh, studying medicine in Amsterdam or in Holland. Uh, I had a Dutch family. Uh, I was thinking about going to London too, which I thought was fascinating, but the Dutch film Academy is a really, really, really good school. Um, I mean, they had the, uh, um, Paul Verhoeven, uh, my classmate of mine has made two Oscar movies. Uh, our class are all yeah. working people, and I just remember it was a it's a it's a four four year school, and they it was about over a thousand students, and they only let eighteen students in um, every year, so it was like a really really narrow gap, um, and it was a super educational, fantastic school. So, but before that, I had wow. just done, uh, you know, films at home and just with friends and everything. So it was a natural step for me. And then, after, so you graduate four years, you're, you're learning the ins and outs of filmmaking. What's your first step after that? Did you have a, an idea of like, Hey, my goal is features or yeah, TV. I, Did you have anything like, yeah, I, I had that since I was eight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was, that was, I was not in, in doubt at all. I, it was, uh, since I was eight, I wanted <laughs> to make great. movies. I think the the big thing for me happened, you know, my, my mom passed away when I was 12 and my dad was a very practical uh, guy. 
And I remember he, he sold the house and he said, okay, I'm moving there. He had a, a, a really good opportunity on the West coast of Norway, which was even further away from civilization than where I already live. And, and, and he just sent me a, a ticket for a train and a bus. And I remember sitting on that bus thinking, you know, this is the moment. Now I'm, I have no control of my life. I'm going to move somewhere where I've never been before, away from all my friends. And I thought, this, from now on, I will be in control of my life. Everything that happens from now on will happen because I want it to happen. And I remember that just gave me such a force. And uh, and since then, it's, it's sort of been like that. So I just decided, okay, film school, I'm gonna film, so, you know, it's, it takes a certain determination. <laughs> And uh, and I was lucky enough. I had um, I did a an a, a exam film. My my closing film that I uh, graduated with was screened on all television channels in Norway. Uh, I you know went straight into commercials, which was great for me because I made money. And that's when I met my wife, yeah. uh, my wife and now producer Veshleme, who was a, a very entrepreneurial soul. Who um, you know she she was studying law and criminology. And she was starting to look at, you know, my the contracts I had for the people I was working for. It's like she's like, Jesus, they these guys are just exploiting you. You they you need they need you more than you need that. You know, and then slowly she started renegotiating and getting more and more involved. And then and then she looked at the casting. So you can't have that guy, you just have that guy. And, and so she has really good taste. And she was kind of the only one who really could tell me something was shit. So, you know, we we've, we've worked together now for I don't know how many years it's uh, tw- tw- uh no we moved here 23 years ago i think we worked almost 30 years together and uh wow yeah so it's you know you gotta have a partner who is very uh entrepreneurial and, and and talented and creative and so i think she's a big part of the success for me yeah now look at that you find somebody like to find somebody that has a, a similar passion yeah. In something and looked out for you before you knew her. She was looking out for you. So she, <laughs> yes, you caught her eye right from the beginning that she's like, Hey man, they're, they're taking everything from you. Yeah. No, I remember also I was just screening the, the exam film at a, at a small film club in, in Norway and she was out selling tickets, you know, people getting people to wow. come in. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, she, she was made for this. She just didn't know it at that point, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, was that Gabriel's cool. surprise? Was that your exam yes. film that went Ex- around? That's exactly right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. God, you knew that. That's uh, that's a uh, good research. So is that something that you is that like the last year of school or yeah. how long did it take to make that? No, yeah. that was that was just last year. Every it was a tough school. We had to uh, every year we had to do a project. Uh, our own film. If you were in directing, you had to direct the movie, obviously. And if you were in writing, you had to write it too. Uh, and then if you were in editing, you had to edit somebody else's movie. So every year we, we did that. It was oh, a really cool. tough school. And then it was, uh, then you had to sit in front of a panel and they looked at your work and they said, well, you know what? You're not making the progress we want you to make. So you have to leave. And um, so it was, it, it was really tough. And we, I think we started with 16 directors and uh, we ended up with eight. The rest were kicked out along the way. And then, uh, so... <laughs> Because, you know, it was a state-funded school, so we had 16 mil and projections and development and actors, and it was all paid for by the school. So they really wanted students that were, I guess, uh, at least focused or talented. 
And uh, so that was the last year's film. It was uh, Gabriel's surprise. It was very inspired by Back to the Future, I have to say. You know, which which I think yeah. to this day is one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. It holds up. It's so cool when you watch movies that you haven't watched in a while. And you're like, wow, it still holds up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, these movies are still as good as the first time your eyes like, like look at them. Yeah, and it's it's funny, too, because, you know, like, again the culture back home where I come from in Norway, it tends to be, I mean, now it's a little more kosher, but way back when I was young to say that you liked American movies was not cool. You know, you had to like French movies or Japanese art movies or some, some, some art movies. And I was having dinner with other, I was really young and all these filmmakers. And I said, well, I, I like back to the future. And they were like, what? (laughs) How can you even say that? And then, and then I came to America, you know, because my wife and I were, uh, because of the commercials, we were lucky enough to be invited by Steven Spielberg. He's the one who got us over here. So we had... Um, That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it was really crazy. We, uh, uh, the showreel the show I had was in London, and then it ended up on the desk of ICM here in, in LA. And within a week, we had uh, three agents and, uh, and manager and everything. And then... And they sent it out on town and and we had all these offers and then Spielberg wanted to have lunch, which was just completely surreal. And um <laughs> and we did. And uh and uh, I, I remember I couldn't say much because I was so starstruck, but my wife was talking away and she talked to him about private imprisons, which which she had studied, you know, so she she had a lot to say. And the two of them were discussing and then I said a few things, but I remember saying that one of my favorite movies were, were back to the future. And, you know, he, he obviously was involved in that. And, and, and he says really seriously, yeah, that is a really amazing movie. And then you sit with people like Will Smith or Michael Douglas. And then they say, yeah, that is a really, really good movie. And to me, that was just so amazing. You know, these guys just shared this idea that, yeah, that is a good movie. It made a lot of money. It's really well told. It's got heart. So I just felt, oh, I'm home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> now it's up there. That and Jaw. It's so funny. The, so many movies that Spielberg's involved with oh. are just so good. Like Jaws is like, to me, that's that's one of my favorite movies. I can watch that over and over again and like sort of pick up something new. It's just such a great story. The characters are like, perfectly cast like you couldn't see anyone else in any of those roles i i completely agree and also i watched back uh no uh, closing counter this the other day just because i wanted to ah, re- so remind good. myself and and sometimes he just and people don't appreciate this enough with him but the the blocking i think is one of his strongest notions you know the, the fact that he he lets the camera roll and people walk past and they walk themselves in a close-up and then they walk behind something because then he wants you to look at something else it's just, and I remember in Jaws, there's this long tracking shot, and suddenly, is the car door that gets closed, and there's the answer to something they've been discussing. Just the way he tells everything with imagery and just the camera blocking, I think is genius. I don't think people appreciate. Yeah, I think that it's. I, I think he has that. Yeah, he has that passion, like like you did at a young age. Like he he was doing Super Eight film, cutting film in his room you know, taping it together. I have interviewed a few people that worked with him. One was like Joe Alves who worked on jaws. He was a production designer on jaws, close encounters. 
And just, uh, yeah, just hearing the stories about just the way he thinks, he just seems like he's always having so much fun on set. Like, is that a character actor, Peter Jason, told me when they were on the set of Arachnophobia, like in between when they were doing a, taking a break, like the kid actors in a scene, like Spielberg's like running around with the kids. Yeah. And like, like just having fun. And like, you see that in his films. Like there's the, the word that everybody wants in any film is heart. And you yeah. see that in every single different type of movie, whether it be a movie like he had his hands involved in, like Poltergeist, which is a horror movie, like a scary movie, or like you said, like a Back to the Future. There's always heart involved in his movies. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how how he just gets his stamp on everything. I remember when we were discussing, uh, I met him on another project uh, later too, and and it was um, he said, you know, I made this movie once. Uh, and and he mentions this title, and I think it was Inner Space, uh, which he was involved in. Oh yeah, and and, yeah. and it's it's so charming because you know he he can, and this goes with a lot of people too. But but they say, you know, I made this movie, and and it's as if you didn't see it. You know, they don't want to assume that you already know what it is. And I'm like, <laughs> Inner Space, <laughs> Christ, yeah. I remember that. That was amazing. You know. You have no idea yeah. what your movies have done to me. So they're so humble, which is really charming. <laughs> yeah. So so after so after that, you're here and I guess that's when you moved, like right after that? Yeah, right about, I mean, right uh, about that point? Yeah, like I said, I, I have a very uh, entrepreneurial, uh, adventurous uh, wife. Uh, she just said, you know, let's do it. We just, we just, uh, what do you say when you stop renting your apartment? I, we just said, okay, we're not going to live here anymore. We packed two suitcases, <laughs> and uh, and now we have a house in Rusty Canyon. We're ten movies later, and um, yeah, we never looked back. Basically, it was uh, it was amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so the first movie that you directed was one night in McCool's, like in the states. Yeah, I, you know, I did the uh, Commander Hamilton before that in Sweden. Which was a um, oh okay, uh, was a sort of secret agent type uh, movie based on a very famous uh, uh, book in Sweden, uh, but that was a four a four hour TV show that we then recut into a feature, and I did really well. Um, nice. But the ticket to get over here was the commercials, and the commercials were all comedy commercials. So <clears throat> I got signed on to a lot of comedy scripts, and and then Michael Douglas, who who's an amazing guy i met him and he had this really funny script and and we just got the stellar cast you know we had john goodman uh, matt dillon Liv tyler richard jenkins yeah. just one one amazing person after another jumped on that and it was this really yeah. small darkish comedy it was just fun to make and um yeah that was the first uh, directorial movie i made in, in the states so michael douglas reached out to you like with the script based on the commercials? Yes, he had seen uh, he had seen the commercials. Wow. Uh, that was how it worked. You know, I had that showreel floating around town. Uh, we we had something at Fox. We had we met basically everybody, <clears throat> and then um, and I think Spielberg just Spielberg just wanted a general meeting. But he, I remember him saying, "Those are the funniest commercials I've ever seen in my whole life," and. Um, and, and and sort of the same thing that Michael Douglas said, because there were little stories, you know, there were 40 second beginning, middle and an end. Uh, and Michael yeah. had seen the commercials and and he he loved the tonality of it. And yeah, that's how it basically happened. 
that was a very different character for him. If you think about like Michael Douglas roles, you don't see him play like uh, I don't want to. I don't even know how to put it. He's like kind of like a sleazy guy. You got the shirt buttoned down. Yeah. Like he has like a little fro, like a little pompadour. Yeah, kind he, of haircut. he has a, he has a And just the way he's talking to Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way he's talking to Matt Dylan about, hey, did you schlep her? Or yeah. whatever some yeah, of the yeah, words yeah. he was saying. But, uh, and he does that, you know, I mean, he had a, he had a ball doing that. It was funny because, you know, the, the producers, he was, he was a producer, but there were other producers too. And, and we were always sort of, he was the last guy to, that we cast you know we had all the other people cast and we were always like okay so who's gonna play the 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 the, the hitman and we're like yeah, okay and then eventually you know and he never committed and and and, and i just wanted him to do it because you know i thought he'd be fantastic with with that hair piece and i just <laughs> yeah. i just wanted to make make him look very very different so we started to sit around and goes okay so What's Dustin Hoffman doing these days? And you know, we just started having those kinds of conversations around the office. And then one day, he came, "Hey guys, guys, I want to play that part." We're like, "Oh, okay, cool." <laughs> you know, so we had to sort of lure him in a little bit. But no, he was amazing. I, yeah. I remember, I remember the first day he was on set and he was in character and he just looked fantastic. I just remember he's saying because he was both a producer and an actor, you know. And there was some, the first AD, and people were saying, you know, we got a little behind, blah, blah, blah. And he just said, guys, we're shooting a movie, not a schedule. And I remember to this day, that's been the wisest words that I've ever heard from him. We're shooting a movie, not a schedule. You know, because the director, you have to, you, yeah, you, you run behind because you need to get something good. And then you catch up again. And, and even if you change your mind or you move the schedule around, it's not about the schedule. It's about the movie. So... That's sometimes people have a some people on the other side have a hard time understanding that sometimes. Yeah. The business side, like you always hear that whenever you watch like behind the scene documentaries, like when you hear the way, because sometimes the people that they have sitting on set aren't even like quote unquote in the music movie business. They're more like there to crunch the numbers, be like, okay, we've been filming for nine hours, you know, you're supposed to be at eight or something like you hear that so many times in, in any of those behind the scene documentaries, but when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's really cool. What a great movie. I rewatched that for the first time in a few years. It like is still so good. Like you said, Richard Jenkins, yeah. another guy that God, yeah. he's everything he shows up in. He's just so good. And I don't even know how far in, I know he's active for a long time, but I don't know if this is the point that he became that guy that everybody needed in movies. Cause after, cause in the two thousands, he was in so many big comedies. Like when he was in step brothers playing the dad. Yeah. He's just so good. Yeah. I remember, I think our, our biggest um, surprise for that movie was, uh, you know, Andrew Dice Clay, which was a, um, oh, yeah. which was a fun, fun uh, addition. He was amazing. And, um, and I, I can't remember where he was in his career at that point, but we were invited to see his stand-ups and he was just fantastic. I just, but he was sort of our biggest surprise cast in that movie. 
Uh, yeah. and, uh, we have Reba McIntyre, who I, you know, just saw on yeah. television yesterday. She doesn't look a day older. <laughs> you know, those are amazing people. Paul Reiser, Liv Tyler. Yeah, Paul, Paul Reiser is a total, like you mentioned, like Paul Reiser is such a, like a nice guy in a lot of roles. But then you think aliens, like you mentioned, yeah, one yeah. of your like faves. Him in that movie is like the biggest a hole. Like yeah. what he's gonna do. Like his grand plan when you rewatch that movie and really hear that he was gonna have the aliens basically like yep impregnate both of them, the uh, Sigourney and uh, and Newt. And you're like, oh my god. Yeah. And then in this movie, he's a total creep. Yeah. <laughs> and even with Reba, like that scene when he's like, yeah, I just feel it. women uh, women are attracted to me. Yeah. I felt it. Yeah, I felt it when I came in here. You yeah, know, looking yeah, yeah. at me. And, and I remember talking to him because it, it, it was written a bit like a joke in the script. And, and Paul and I were just sitting there thinking, you know, maybe it's even funnier if it's not even a joke to him. It is a genuine problem in his head that women are just attracted to him. Yeah. And they played it that way. And it was even funnier, I remember. Yeah, we had a good time. Oh man. So then just like directing, it's like, it's such a, it's such an involved pro- process because you're involved in everything the day in day yeah. out. So then from there, like it just, it just keeps going. Agent Cody Banks a few years later. People ask me sometimes what's the, what's the hardest thing in, in, in the movie business. And I think the hardest thing for me at least is, is the choice you make. What's the, what's the next movie you're making? And sometimes you can do good choices. Sometimes I've, you know, I've passed on movies that I want to just kill myself for having passed on, you know. And then there are movies <laughs> that are that you're happy that you passed on. You just never know. And um, and suddenly, before you know it, years can go by. And uh, and we were always doing commercials continuously, so it's not like we. Weren't... Oh, really? Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. We that's that's been our continuous business. It's uh, that's a. Uh, Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to sustain ourselves between the movies. So I don't know. I do a, a, one or two commercials a month uh, all over the world. Um, so, and sometimes we just take longer breaks. But it's the commercials that are our bread and butter, to put it that way. So then you can hang around and wait for the right project. But then you know, Agent Cody Banks came along, and I just love that whole CIA world. I just adored the this idea that the kid could use the CIA to do his home chores. It was just so many fun ideas in it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah Cody, back. it just, it's just been a, a good, good, steady roll of movies. And then, you know, when we went back home, we, uh, I don't know if you know about the long flat bolts franchise we did. It's, yeah. 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 It's a, uh, I mean, that, that was a summer. I did a commercial for the Norwegian a telephone company. It was a good friend of mine. He was a creative on it. And the idea was that there was supposed to be six guys with Norway on their chest. And because the R, the guy who had the R didn't have the right cell phone connection. When they cheered, it said, no way. Cause the R was lost. <laughs> and then we're shooting this commercial. I mean, I'll send you the link and you can show it yeah. on the, on the, on the, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, and then we, we were shooting the commercial. I was thinking, oh, hold on. What if the Y goes looking for the R and then the R shows up and then it said no war. So this, <laughs> yeah. And, and my, my only goal for this commercial was that I don't want any famous people. I don't want any actors, nothing. I just wanted to be absolutely real people. So we found guys on the street. You know, I just said, oh, you're, you got a big belly, you, you know, you, you got a space for a letter. Come on. <laughs> so these guys have never been in front of the camera before. And that commercial, because of the message of the no war, uh, I think there was some unrest in the world at the time. 
uh, it became massive. It was the, the those days going viral, you know. So the, suddenly these guys are massive stars. They're signing autographs. They're opening malls. <laughs> and that's when, uh, you know, we, uh, my wife and I and, and the writer and a few other people said, why don't we just make a feature? And we were like, well, none of them ever acted before. And and it's funny because this, this comedy turned into be the biggest hit that year. It was the full Monty, just with more laughs. And it was the biggest hit. It blew three times as much as any other Norwegian movie made that year. <laughs> wow. And so then we made the sequel two years later. That was an even bigger hit. And and people sometimes say back home, they say, well, you know, you're a commercial guy. And I say, there was nothing commercial about that idea. There were six guys who had never been in front of the camera. I had a writer who had only written commercials, never a feature. We financed it ourselves. It was nothing commercial about that idea. It was the riskiest project you could possibly do. And still we did it, <laughs> yeah. and it just ended up being commercial. But it wasn't a commercial movie. It was a totally indie project. So Long Flat Balls was, was sort of a summer gig for us. So we just did that in between everything else. So, But that's been – and now Long Flat Balls 3 is our latest release, and it's, it's now doing festivals. That's crazy. Yeah, and it's, it did really well. And it, it's, it's a super fun movie. I'm very proud of it. That's your moment of uh, like you like you said earlier. You wish you could try those extra shots. Yes, like like you said, some other directors. This is kind of like that in a way because it was like a happy accident. Yeah, you felt something on set. You improved a little bit by yeah. changing it around and having the why and the. That's pretty great. Yeah, and, and turned then, into that. Yeah, and and also what's what's fascinating is that these guys are not actors. They're just supernatural talented. If you see the movie, you'll see that they're actually. There's emotional scenes, there's funny scenes, comedy timing, everything. And and shooting that movie, that was thankfully done digital. You know, the first one was even shot on HD because that was a moment when I just had to let the camera roll because these guys have never acted before. So, you know, I just yeah. do it again and again and again. And then suddenly there's an happy accident. I'm like, oh, my God, that's just genius the way he said that. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to change the thing that happened before and after to, to, you know, preserve that. But so they those movies have this lightning in a bottle sense. They're they're just so spontaneous and and real. So um, yes, that was a that was the best use of digital filmmaking ever because I could never have done that with changing the role of film and never. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying you do one to two commercials a year? Did you do no, any no, of the Super Bowl for this I'm, year? Uh, no, oh, not, a month uh, you do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I travel all the time. Um, wow. Yes, I I do them. Uh, Nice. Yeah, we take a break, uh, but yeah, I can do two, three commercials uh, per month, and then I go England, uh, Norway, Middle East, uh, wherever. I haven't done Super Bowl this year. No, nice. I've I've been fortunate to do a Super Bowl uh, uh, some years ago, but it's it's been a while now since a Super Bowl commercial. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's cool because you're you're making these little films. Yes, you're, like you said, and I think that's what. Uh, Michael Douglas saw and Spielberg saw like you're able to tell a story in 40 to 60 seconds. It's a, it's pretty amazing when you watch a commercial and it's like memorable or the next day you're talking about it at the water cooler. Yeah. Yes. It's it's actually a really, really great uh, format for filmmakers because you have to be so sharp in order to get all what the clients wants to communicate. You know, I did all the, 
I don't know if you know these Capital One commercials with all the Vikings that do crazy stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I did yeah, all yeah. did all of those, and <laughs> nice. uh, and those were all super sharp on timing. And you know, you have basically those were thirty seconds, I think, and they were all physical humor, so it had to be timed perfectly. And but so and and also doing commercials. First of all, you get to travel around the world. I don't know. I've been basically everywhere. Uh, and you meet great people. You always have great crew because you get the best of the best. And you get to try new shit out. You know, some the DP yeah. comes or the some stunt man comes and he says, well, I just did this on that movie. You go, oh, well, let's try that on this. So you're always on the cutting edge of technology. And that that's really helpful. Yeah. Wow. And then from, so from those, uh, the age of Cody, uh, banks you have those happy accident that turned into three movies but two back to back and then one movie that is so good the pink panther oh right. <laughs> thank the you the cast in that movie yeah i know it's so you know what's crazy when you rewatch a movie after a, a long time like i don't go there and like look and see everybody's who, who's in it but i was watching it last week and it's like he's in that like Jean yes. Reno's in this yeah. alfred molina and you have him in all these different types of roles it's great yeah, that was uh, that was another one of those amazingly cast. Uh, you know, just feeling being so lucky because I've I've been a lifelong fan of John Cleese, and uh, and to to yeah. sit between takes and just pick his brain about when he was in in Monty Python and it's just legendary. And and you're working with these amazing names like Steve Martin himself was just so gracious and. And just so polite and nice. So that was just a, a really awesome project. I remember showing the movie for the first time to Steve, uh, Steve Martin. And he was sitting there watching. And I had done my utmost of making it cinematic. You know, I wanted to have emotional moments. I wanted, you know, camera to move. I wanted a lot of the comedy to be within the timing, not within the editing, but just actually... And and I think he really liked it. And and I looked at his notepad afterwards. There was zero notes. He just had the date. Wow. <laughs> yes. I tore that piece of paper away and I framed it because it was Steve Martin's notes after the first cut of Pink Panther. And there was nothing. <laughs> and he just said, wow, it feels like a movie, you know, because it was it was uh, it, it was a little bit of a sketchy type thing. Right. It was a, little, a lot of jokes. And uh, and I think I yeah. just managed to make it a little more into a a movie uh, and he was really happy with that when you're obviously you have to be serious on set but there's obviously a lot of funny scenes in that movie how do you not like lose it when john cleese starts banging his head <laughs> on the bathroom wall yeah i you know that's it's compare <laughs> compare pink panther to long flat balls um yeah. When you work with John Cleese and Steve Martin, it's they rehearse. They know exactly what they're doing. Uh, it's really funny stuff, but a lot of it has been rehearsed, and you know what's going to happen. So you yeah. were you've already laughed. You know it's it's funny as hell, but you've already you know, you're more in, in sort of <laughs> is is it you right? got it you got it out already yeah yeah but on long flat balls I had that every single day <laughs> you know because these guys forgot. <laughs> They forgot their lines or they were stepping on each other or they looked in a different, I mean, I could, that's, that's a place where the sound guy had to clean up all my laughter from behind the monitor. So that was a different matter, but on Pink Panther, it was a lot more controlled and, 
plan to put it yeah. that way. No, it, it's funny when you think about it. Like, obviously, I don't know if you would know, know this or not. I'm sure the internet has it, but for like when they made the first Pink Panther with Steve Martin, I wonder if like he was probably the. I couldn't see anybody else ever play that role. No, I. I like, it's hard to he, think of anyone. Yes, and I. Th- I think uh, now you might think that that sort of comment is a little dated, you know. Uh, but I think I thought that was a terrific movie. Sean Levy directed that, and then he sort of gave me the relay stick. We 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 had a wonderful conversation before I went on did did uh, my uh, movie, and he was a producer on on my movie, and um, I think he did a terrific job. You know, that was a it's a risky job because it's a big franchise that a lot of people love the original Pink Panther. And, uh, and some people can't get over the fact that the original Pink Panther was so much better, but I think Steve Martin just knocked it out of the park. No. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. No, that's so cool. Like when I get like revisiting these movies, like when I'm getting ready to talk to somebody as wonderful as yourself. And it's like, so cool to be able to check these out. And then right from there, you roll right into you know, obviously you're doing the commercials one or two a month, but uh, the Karate Kid. Yes. Another cool, like such a great, like remake of a movie. You know, you had the other one. There was really nothing with Karate Kid until obviously the last few years with Cobra Kai. So it was really cool to be able to see that movie come out because then you had a younger audience that might be like 10 to 15. They discover that. They discover the old ones. But Jackie Chan in that role. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was I was very lucky. Uh Again, one of those things. Um, I think I have it somewhere. I can't remember. Oh, uh, it was a it was a movie that I had to really fight for. I really wanted it, and um, yeah, I wasn't a sports movie kind of guy. You know, I had never done a sports movie. Well, I'd done long flat bolts, but they were, that wasn't about sports. That was about the <laughs> soccer fans. But so so I didn't have, I didn't have that sort of thing where you know there's a whole genre of American movies where there's a sports movie and they win in the end type of thing with the audience. I've never done anything like that. And I remember I was, I think I was competing with another guy who had a lot of sports movies and then, and I got higher and higher up in the, you know, cause it's like, you know, you meet that one, the next, you go higher and higher up in the executive change chain. And then eventually you, you're either hired or you're not. And I remember my, my wife and I, Vesh and I were sitting there talking, how are we going to, how are we going to break the back of this? How can I be different than how the other guys do? And I want to show you this because what, what we did then, really proud of that, uh, uh, we decided that the heart of the movie was where Jackie Chan lived, his home. And, and I knew also that Amy uh, Pascal at Sony was really into tangible filmmaker stuff. You know, she liked, to see filmmakers just work on real stuff. So we decided to build a model of Jackie Chan's house. Uh, yes, here it is. And we built this. So this is, this is my wife working on the model in the kitchen. Wow. And we had to do it after the kids had gone to bed because they wanted to play with it, you know, and ended up, ended up being this thing. And then, and That's then I could, awesome. And then I could take a lot of pictures of it with, you know, at night with the, with the car, uh, that one lamp. And that's how I, and that's how I came up with that idea of the shadow theater on the wall. So that all happened with working on the model. And I remember, so I remember going into the office of Amy Pascal at Sony. I had this big model 
And I just, I spoke to the front office and they said, yeah, you know, she's running late. And I was sitting there nervous as hell. I had everything worked out in my mind. And then I heard, well, you know, she only has 15 minutes. And I thought, oh, damn. I, I, my, my whole pitch was more than 15 minutes. So I walked into her office with a model and I turned on the little battery lights and I switched off the lights in her office, <laughs> you know, because that was by the door. And I walked in with this little model lit up and i just remember it was like this iconic hollywood moment where she just lifted up the phone and said cancel my next meeting and it was just oh <laughs> you know and yes it really happened and i could show her with a flashlight and i could talk about because that was to me that was the heart of the movie you know it was the, with the jackie and and and, and Jaden in this little courtyard it wasn't about sports and winning and it was about them the two of them and I think that kind of convinced her. And I remember that was one of those where uh, I, I was working on something else. I think maybe I had a commercial. I, I had to fly back to Europe and I flew back and I landed in Paris. I just got the call. Will wants to meet you, which is sort of the last. That, then you're all the way at the top. I just went straight back on the no play, flew straight back. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and then just walked up to him with the model up to his house. And yeah. So that was, a, that was, I think that was the most amazing for both my wife and I, we, you know, spent a lot of time in China, which is, and, and working with the Smiths and that was just amazing. The whole thing was just amazing. That's a, that's a true Hollywood story. Cancel yes. my meeting. Yes. That exactly. is something that's like a, something from a movie that's written. So here's a quick question is I never asked the director that I interviewed and you just brought up a great, a great point. So when you go in for a, a like you mentioned for this movie, but do they like give you the script or are you going in there? Like, what are you pitching your vision of like, are you bringing storyboards or like, how does that work when you go into a pitch meeting for, to get the job? I mean, that's, there's as many answers to that as there are people. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah. I think uh, it's interesting on, on your show here to, to ask that kind of thing, because, you know, we can talk about our movies and we have a lot of anecdotes and fun things, but, that part of the job is something that you don't know much about is the actual pitching and how you get your job, which is really hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're Chris Nolan or Steven Spielberg, you just pick your movies. <laughs> Us normal yeah. people still have to fight for the movies. Right. So, <laughs> so that is a really, that's something that a lot of people should know about. And, uh, and you know, you get sent a script and you read it, you love it. You call your agent and say, I want to throw my hat in the ring. Uh, and then you just start working on a pitch. And, and there are elaborate pitches. I know the guy who did um, Tron. His name escapes me now. He's an amazing director. Um, he just did the uh, Top Gun, I think. Uh, uh, remember that? The, he, he went off and pulled a lot of favors from post houses. And he pre-visualized the whole Tron bike sequence, right? Which convinced him. Um <laughs> I've heard people do all kinds of crazy things. So this model thing was something that we just felt this is the way to show how we can, there's no real, real solution to it. The only thing you have to remember is you have to somehow make them feel something, you know? So either you play music yeah. or, or, or you, you make them laugh or you do whatever you can. I, I mean, after a pitch, I am completely exhausted. I am drained as <laughs> if I had the biggest exam. And, and you have to do this five or 10 times. And you have to remember that you go in with a, a young executive 
And then if he says, yeah, you should meet this guy, then you go into the next level. The same young executive is there, right? So you have to bring something new. So every time you have to bring something new. So the guys who've heard your pitch four or five times already are getting bored at that point because they're going to sit around yeah. debating. So you always have to bring something new. So I think that's just make him feel something. I mean, we, we, we're working on a musical now and our secret weapon are the two composers who we drag it. We fly them wherever we need to meet somebody. We bring a grand, you know, electric piano. And we say, okay, before you say anything, here's the music. And they sing a private concert and people get emotional. <laughs> and then you go, okay, now we can talk about the movie. You know, I've heard people drag gospel choirs into the, into the meeting room. You just, whatever it takes to either separate yourself and make them feel something. Just don't walk in with a script on your arm and go, well, you know, <laughs> act two, act break. I think that never works. You know, they'll be bored quickly. Yeah. No, that's true. Man, I can't believe it. Yeah, especially that if the same executives are moving up with each meeting, it's like being a comedian and you have to like yeah. come up with a new act like every every time. That's got to be difficult. Yeah, it's exhausting. But, you know, they, they really <laughs> want to make sure they have the right guy. And uh, and and it's funny. Sometimes you, you do a pitch and you think you, you didn't really nail it and you didn't really nail it because you weren't exactly right for the movie. You know, that's sometimes true too. You think you want it, but you're maybe not right. Somebody else were more right. So that's just got to live with that. Do you still have the model? It's the a, a, you know, it's a, it's in a museum in actually that my small oh. town, my small town, Frederickstad has a movie theater named after me. And they have a huge, what? That's yes, awesome. Yes. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And they have a, a huge display of every prop from every movie I ever made. So they're taking care of all that stuff. Oh. Yes. You can go to Frederickstad and see the model. It's, it's there right now. I'm going to have to go there. What do they have from One Night in McCool's? <laughs> they have um, uh, Liv Tyler's dress. Michael Douglas's hair? Uh, Michael Douglas's oh, uh, nice. tra- tra- tracksuit jacket. Liv Tyler's dress. Nice. Yep. That's all there. Yeah, Steve Martin's hat, his little gadgets, all that stuff is there. What was it like? Uh, that must have been like, uh, it must have been pretty emotional when they reached out to you and said, hey, I want to, they reached out to you and said, hey, we want to name a movie theater after you? Uh, yes, it was, that was a big day for me. I think that happened around Karate Kid. Wow. Um, and uh, I mean, it's it's not the whole theater because that's just called Frederick's movie theater, but it's one of the, it's the biggest, yeah. uh, biggest theater in there. Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're amazing. The the guy who runs that theater now called Jürgen Janssen, he has done the most amazing premieres. I remember we had, we had the karate kid premiere in Frederickstad, and, um, no. cause I don't go to Oslo. That's the capital of Norway. I don't want to go there. I take it down to Frederickstad, which is an hour. It's a small town. I bring everybody there. And we managed, we managed to get Will Smith, Jackie Chan, Jada was there. Uh, we were there. You know, we managed to get those guys to Frederickstad because we, we had a big meeting at Sony when we were talking about the world tour. It was, you know, Japan, Paris. And then I said to Will, we got to go to – and I think Stockholm was on the list. And I said to Will, you should go to Frederickstad. And he was like, yeah, <laughs> we should, because he got it. You know, he gets that idea of bringing something back to your hometown, and and Jackie too. So, 
So we had a tour list that said London, Paris, Frederikstad, Tokyo, <laughs> crazy thing. And, and it was, you know, and, and when you do something like that in a small town, we have, they have the longest red carpet in Northern Europe. And I think there were 6,000 people showing up. And I remember the next day, wow. it was the craziest premiere. And I, and I know to this day, they still talk about it. Uh, and we went to Paris the next day, which was a smaller event. And I remember Jaden said to me that Frederikstad was so much better, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so it was just, I mean, you can look it up, Frederikstad Karate Kid premiere, and you just see it's like Beatlemania. Yeah. It, it was the most amazing moment. And I was just so gracious of both Jackie and Jaden and, and Jada uh, and, and Will, you know, they took their time. They flew there. They drove the car down. It was just such an honor. It was amazing. Yeah, was that the first? Do, do, before that, did you go back at all? Yeah, ever, yeah, yeah. Or? No, I did. I've done every premiere there. Yeah, this was like the fifth. Oh, the, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, so now it's it's a big tradition now. Nice. It's uh, uh, we were just there with long flat bolts, and we had uh, you know uh, uh, Samantha Fox is in our movie. She was there. It, it, it's always a big spectacle when we have premieres there, and everybody knows it too. I love that. That's so cool. I love the way you said it. It was like thinking of like a Rolling Stones concert, like London, Tokyo, Frederick. Frederick. <laughs> yes. Where is it? Where is yes. that? Uh, yes. Yeah, it was a fun tour. But that's a cool tradition. When did you, you think about doing that? You did, you did that for One Night in McCool's and then just kept it rolling? Yeah, it, we, started awesome. with, we started with Hamilton. That was the first time. And then Peter Stormer. Oh, okay. Peter Stormer, who was in, the, in that movie, came. And that's the first time. Oh, he's time. great. Yes, he's amazing. And that's the first time they started <laughs> cement, you know, so we have uh, cement prints. So they have their own walk of fame there with Jackie Chan and Peter Stormer. <laughs> and, you know, so it's a real, real celebrity wall of some big, big names. So they've kept that tradition up. And um, yeah, I've done it on every single movie. That's great. So you said you're working on trying to get a musical now. Is there any other genres you'd like to do? Well, you know, a, a music, I've always loved musicals, and this one is a really great story, and it's going to be a little bit more of a... Uh, it's not a musical with dance numbers as such. It's more sort of the, the, the Le Mis version of it, where they go seamlessly in and out of songs. But it, for me, it's never been it's never been about genre. You know, I, I, I want to make a sci-fi movie. I want to make a Western. It's not about genre. I've just always liked... Um, movies <laughs> you know so yeah. i'm not looking it's it, there was a there was this famous classical pianist in norway called wolfgang plug he's an amazing talent and there was some smart ass journalists from a you know sort of really cool newspaper and during the grammys of norway they thought hey why don't we have this classical piano player hand out the country and western award just to sort of mess with him, you know, to say, oh, aren't we cool? You know, aren't we crazy? We put the classical music guy delivering the Western thing, the country Western thing. And then they interviewed him afterwards. They said, so how was it for you to, to you know, hand out the country Western award? And he was like, you know, I don't separate genre. I just separate good and bad music. And they were like, they had no answer, <laughs> which I thought was such an amazing answer. Yeah. We don't make genres. We make 
good or bad movies, you know, whether it's a yeah. a love story or a, a, for kids or whatever. It's not a genre. We don't make genres. We make movies. That's a good answer. Well, that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, this is great. A, a couple of questions I always like to ask people. With you, it's a little bit different because you're always doing filmmaking. Was there? But was there any other career path you ever thought about along the way or was it just tunnel vision this is the only thing i'm gonna do well i i uh i was always dreaming of being a rock star <laughs> you know which yeah. is the dumbest dumbest kid idea ever you know i i played music <laughs> i had i had a band when i was in in holland i had a, a band and i was you know i went so sting i was like oh god that has to be the coolest thing anybody can ever do. And I was like, okay. I, and so I had film sort of as a fallback plan, but do um, <laughs> <laughs> something to make a living. So I'm, I was, uh, I was happy. I had film because I was not a good rock and roll musician. <laughs> <laughs> what would you play? Or did you no, say I, I put, yeah, I sing, you know, all this stuff you try as a young man, you know, I played, yeah. I played the bass at that time. Uh, we were we were a good band. Yeah, we had some tiny gigs here and there, but it was never going to be anything more than that. So, good good thing you had film to uh, yeah, fall back. Fall back on the yeah, something safe, you know, safe <laughs> career choice. <laughs> I know you mentioned like the Steve Martin uh, the note with just the date that you kept and framed, and then everything that's in the in the theater in Fredericksburg. But was there any other mementos or keepsakes that you keep after films like? like a shooting script or any type of person's wardrobe that you have over the years? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, the wardrobe things and gadgets like that, we, we put in that museum, but the, you always end up with a clapper front of the clapper. And uh, that's always a gift from oh, yeah, the cool. department. Uh, and then, yeah, I've kept the, the shooting scripts because there's a lot of fun notes and little things in that, but funny enough, they just end up in the shelf. I never go back and look at it. <laughs> it's, I know yeah. I have it, but it's, it's it's funny when you when you've done a movie, you're so done with it. It's like oh, if if uh, if one of my movies uh, are on television or something, I I can't watch it. It's like oh, you uh, can't. No, it's I've seen it so many times. You know, I think I think uh, I think maybe now if I I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think the I think one of my proudest movies is is the Twelfth Man. Which I think is uh, is uh, still to this day showing me most as a filmmaker. Uh, that one, I think, has a a, a poetry and, a, and an emotional. That one, I I guess I could see again because I think the visuals are so amazing. And Long Flat Balls Three, I've seen. I don't know how many times I've seen now because you know when people laugh, it's always a kick. We're going to show it in Sedona the Film Festival in a week or two. Oh, cool. And it's just always a joy when there's comedies, you, you get people laughing. But uh, if something comes on television, I, I can't watch it. I'm so done with them. Because <laughs> you've seen it so many times. And then also, sometimes I talk to people like actors and they're like, I don't like to see myself because since then I'm so much better as an actor. Yeah. And I know that I'll be like, oh, crap. Or they'll say, oh, why did they use that take? Right. That's oh, an wow. actor say a lot. They're like, oh man, I had a better take than that. Yeah, I, I, there are moments when I think, oh, that timing of that edit didn't work. You know, I wish I'd go back. 
I have that, but I think I think it's more the thing that you're. I mean, when you've done something that you've done so, it, it takes so much energy to do a movie. It's like you've born something. It's 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 you've sweated. It's it's gone from your system, right? It belongs to somebody yeah. else. It's uh, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It's it's hard to explain. <laughs> it's just yeah, somebody else can watch it. Yeah, <laughs> I have life's too short. You know, no, it's hard. Is this too many oh, movies I know. to watch? I want to see other people's movies, not my own. And and well, that and then also you're you're thinking about you know each month one or two commercials or the next movie you're working on. So it's hard probably to like watch that because maybe your mind will go into remembering all that every shot. I'm sure if you watch any scene of any of your movies, you have like this memory that it's like, oh, I remember exactly what take this was and things like that. Because directors well, have to have a certain memory to to do it i think yeah i mean that fades away you know it's a when i go into yeah. the when i go into the editing room i can sometimes yeah i remember take three of that take you know even though you've done thousands, thousands of shots I, I remember which one was was the good one but that's just too much data to to keep so <laughs> yeah. after a while that just fades away and and now luckily i can watch a movie and I, it, or one of my own movies and it's just a movie um, I can remember if I really sit down, but I've forgotten a lot of it too. Man, you know, at the end of the interviews for uh, people that are listening, or this is your first time, I love trying to unpack so much stuff that went on in the, in the previous hour. Cause man, so many things that we could talk about. One is how great was the pitch meeting? The fact that she said, hold all my calls and him and his wife made that model, which I'm going to put pictures that he sent me onto his website, sequelsonly.com forward slash Harold support. I'll put it in the episode notes so you can check it out. But man, so many cool photos that he sent over and he showed me in the interview, like live when we were doing it, which was so cool. But I, I never put two and two together when it came to pitch meetings. I, I really thought it was like I said in the beginning of the episode, like, Oh, you like, you know, we want you to do it or do you want to do it? I never thought like multiple directors would be like vying for that. So I really hope he gets the musical because uh, that story was cool too. He's flying around these uh, these musicians to put on a private concert. So I really hope he gets that. But man, Steve Martin, no notes, no notes. He was able to keep that because Steve Martin enjoyed the movie so much. And what what how great that must feel to to put something together like that. And the fact that Michael Douglas. That story was amazing that he was kind of like goading Michael Douglas into doing it. Like, oh, I wonder what Dustin Hoffman's doing. And then Michael's like, you know what? I'll do the role. And no one else could have done that in One, one Night at McCool's. The tracksuit, the hair, the everything. Man, I, I, if you could tell, I love this interview. Harold, if you're listening this far into it, thank you. Thank you, listeners. So your homework, The Pink Panther 2. It's free on Netflix. Check it out. It's, man, I cannot wait to talk about it. Jamie had a problem with the first one for some reason, I think, because he has a Peter Sellers dependency, but Steve Martin brings it. And I can't wait to discuss it and for you guys to listen and for you to enjoy it as well. So don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night. Good night. Guys.